we're going to be looking at now, this is the practical part of Ephesians. And so you really want to be here, bring your Bibles. There's so much for us. So the Bible really is God's roadmap for living. So that's why every week we teach and we unpack the scriptures as we do here. So if you're new to faith, you're exploring faith, it's a great time to be here, to jump in, because this really is God's heart and God's desire for you. And so uh, in your outlines there, uh, there's some fill in the blanks there. And what I'm going to talk about, there are seven specific things that God wants to do in your life, seven specific things that shape who you are that we're going to talk about today. And so just to review, we've looked at how we've been far away from God in chapters one, two, and three, where we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, where we were unchosen and unwanted and undeserving there, and how God is an awesome God, and so we are his, his workmanship. And so God has reached down and touched us. He's, if you're a Christ follower. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's changed your heart there. And so uh, you are uh, redeemed by him, brought into relationship by him. He's a personal God that wants a personal relationship with you. He's not a distant God. And so the creator then came to die for the creation to bring us into a right relationship with God. And so he restored you and made you right with God. And so now very specific here, he's going to begin to talk about what God wants you to know who you are. And so this is not about, Paul has said, this is not about religion, which is spelled do. This is following Christ, which is done, what he's done for you. By faith alone, by grace alone, by the finished work of Christ alone. In Christ, we are new. And so we're going to talk about what that newness looks like today. So he says this in verse 17. It says, with the Lord's authority, writing from prison there, Three years previously, he had, he had pastored this church, said, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. He says, look, the Gentiles, they don't know God, so you don't want to take them as your cue about how to live. You're living in this intense Ephesian culture with all kinds of sor sorcery and craziness and idols and the worship of Diana, but look, don't go, don't follow them, and here's why. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of that God gives because they've closed their minds. They've hardened their hearts. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and practice every kind of impurity. So Paul's saying this, saying, look, that's who you used to be, but that's not who you are now. Don't let the culture define who you are. And so he says, look, don't live like you're dead. Live like you're alive. That's the old life of darkness and hardness of heart and futility. When Jesus comes into your life, he flat out changes everything here. So he says, look, in Christ, we are new, a new creature, a new creation. So he says, don't walk as the world walks, as the culture walks. That is not to define you. You are now new in Christ, but you're still tempted to live like the old you. So he says, don't go that way. You have a new direction, a new way of life, a new heart, a new future. But you will be tempted to live like them. 
And I think this has great application for us here because you can be a Christ follower and have one, one foot in the in faith community. And the other foot, though, is like struggling in, with the allures of the old life there. And so that's what he's talking about. And Paul feels this, this pastoral responsibility to communicate this to them. And he's concerned about the influences that they would be facing in their, in their context there, in their culture there. He says, that's who you used to be. So many of them were doing this. Many of them had one foot in the faith community going forward, but with their other foot, they're looking back at their old life there. And then he drops the but bomb, verse 20. And this is what I mean by that. But... That isn't what you learned in Christ. This is one of the most important uh, uh, transitions in the Bible here. It says, look, this new life is not to be more of the old life. This is a new life. You have a new kingdom. You have new meaning. You have new purpose. You have, you have uh, a new way. You have new gifts here. He's not just king of the Jews. He's king of the new. I was expecting a little more love after I said that, but... Uh, maybe need a little more coffee. So it's old news there. So what he's saying is this is a very relevant message still for us today in, uh, in how we live. And so I want to illustrate a point this way. I did this a, a while ago, but I'm going to illustrate it again. So when I was in, when I was in high school, uh, in college actually, I was like so into sports. I was into sports, sports, and more sports. Baseball, football, basketball, track, wrestling, and rugby. And so I want you to notice it still fits. It still fits. So uh, uh, anyway, so this was like my identity, I have to admit. This, was the, I, this is what I lived for. I never went to church, never graced the, the, the steps of a church growing up. Not one time did I ever go to an evangelical church, never heard the message uh, of Jesus there. So I was just into, into football and, and all the other sports that I did. Back then, they didn't have all, all these club stuff. And so I was, uh, I was just really in, into football. You know, so this was my sport, and I'm going to hit my boy right there. Nick, okay, Nick, so throw me the ball, buddy. Throw me the ball back. All right, thanks, Nick. Okay, so um, so I was into sports. I was so into sports. So it was all about this all the time. Now, this was like decades ago. This was decades ago. Now, imagine you, were, you came over my house, and I pulled you into the back closet. Hey, come here. I want to I show you something. And I showed you my jacket. I says, yeah, this is when I, this was back in the day. This is decades ago, but I've kept it, and I just wanted you to see it. And, uh, hey, you want to play catch, you know? And, and so uh, you would think, like, Rod, you are, like, totally weird. You are, like, you are, like, a freak job. You are, like, an idiot. That was, that's not who you are anymore. You know, but what would you think if I did that? I showed up every, every Sunday with my Letterman's jacket on. You'd be like, dude, you know, you, you are, like, living in another world. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's saying. Like, look, that's your old life. Why are you living in an old identity? That's not you anymore. And so Paul is saying, look, in your notes there, throw off the old. In other words, throw off. It's like this. This is what he's saying. If this is your your old life, he's saying, look, throw off your old life. Don't live in your old identity anymore. That was your, that was your past life. That's, that's not you anymore. That's not who you are anymore here. And so throw off your, take off the old ways of living. Because here's what I know to be true. Here's what I know to be true. 
You can be a Christ follower, watch. Don't miss this. You can be a Christ follower, but you can still, still embrace the old life. You can still want to embrace it, still be allured by your old life, still be in love with, with your old life there. And so sometimes the, the, the deepest changes in our life, they're, they're the change of your identity and how you see yourself, uh, a change of um, how, uh, how you live out of your identity there. And so we can still embrace the old life, and that's what he's talking about. Now, verse 21. Since you've heard about Jesus, and you've learned about the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature. Throw off the old jacket of the old identities there. Your, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception there. And so, you see, this is the old who you were before Jesus. This is your old life there. And so for some of us, you can have a relationship with God through Jesus. And what he does then is he gives you a new identity. If you're a Christ follower. So now it says, verse 24, put on, I'm sorry, verse 23. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes there. Renews your mind. Verse 24. And put on the new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So. If you're a Christ follower, he has a new identity, he has a new jacket for you. And so here is a new jacket I'm going to put on. And uh, so the idea is like, take off the old identities that you've been wrapped up into. Now, put on the old here. Okay, it's a new jacket. It is a jacket of salvation. It is a jacket of redemption. It is a jacket that you are clothed in righteousness there. It is a new identity and I, where you identify with Jesus. You identify with the king. Okay, it's a different kind of jacket. You identify with Jesus. So this is who you are. This is who you are. You're, what he's talking about is you're putting on a new identity for the rest of what we're going to talk about this morning is what does this, what does this look like now that I'm wearing this jacket and not that jacket? That's the rest of the message. Seven. So we have this morning seven points about what this looks like when you put on this jacket. What is that going to look like in your life? Okay, so that's what we're going to unpack here this morning is the new life there and not the old life. So put on your new nature, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so this is who you are. In your attitudes, in your emotions, in your disposition, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your practices, everything you do is now this new identity here, identity in Christ. And so, but here's what I know to be true. Here's what I know to be true. Even though, even though we have this new identity, even though we have this new identity, we can look back at the old identity. This is what he's saying. We can look back at that and we can say, you know what? Man, that was, that was really familiar. And that was, that was really comfortable there. That was, that was so comfortable. And I have so, many, I have so many good memories, man. The old days, you know? Man, ah, it was so good. 
yeah, the old days, you know, playing ball and all the things I used to do in my identity there and all the, all the fun that I had. Man, I, so just, I, love, I love that old life. I, just, I love that old life there. And so you enjoying this this morning? And so that's your old life. And so you can, you can feel the allure of the old identity there. So he says, take off the old and put on the new here. The new is the new lifestyle. The new is, is, is new values that you have. If any man be in Christ, you're a new creature, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old things are passed away and all things become new. And so now he says to renew in verse 23 and 4, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. That means a gradual, continual activity. Gradual and continual. And it says renew. I think we would like to speed that up. I think that our natural tendency is is that we would like it to go fast. Not this gradual, continual activity of the Holy Spirit. We'd like to speed that up. Because that's just how, that's just the culture that we live in. I mean, you, you know, we have mail, mail's not fast enough, so now we have email and then instant messaging, and then we don't get our packages fast enough from Amazon. Two days is too long, so then we have next day delivery, then same day delivery, then Amazon Prime two-hour delivery. I mean, how impatient is that? And so, but what I know to be true is this. When it comes to matters of the soul, it doesn't work that way. See, transformation happens at a much slower pace. And so God is patient concerning the work, uh, concerning us, his work. And I think what we would like to have our growth trajectory look like is something like this here, our growth trajectory, like you believe and all of a sudden you're like Jesus Jr. Like there it is, you know, like you just, like you just shoot off like a rocket and like you're this spiritual person and this spiritually minded, godly scripture quoting Jesus Jr. But it just doesn't work that way. This is not how it works. It's not reality. And so it looks more like this. When you, when you say, I believe, you may have a little upward trajectory and then you'll have down, ups and downs and uh, times when God seems distant and God seems near, times of, of spirit where God feels close, you know, and there's a nearness of the spirit to you, but other times where he seems distant and so where you stumble and you fall and you struggle there. And so spiritual growth is not, it's not on a straight line there, it's up and down really like that. And so... A continual renewing of the spirit is a continual, gradual activity. So he says, let the spirit renew your mind, your thoughts, your attitude there. And so this is the idea of the spirit, the Holy Spirit working in your life there. And so so it's not like there's a bunch of rules to follow. That's not the idea here. The idea is that the Spirit is working in your life, transforming you little by little. Now, Paul's going to get very specific about what it looks like, seven ways now in your notes, seven ways what this looks like here, putting on the new jacket. So here's what happens, verse 25, when you become a Christ follower. So he says, number, he says, number one, your speech changes. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. So the idea is this. Your thoughts control your life. 
You change your life by changing your mind. And so whatever gets your mind gets you. And so he's saying like, okay, our, our minds have to be changed here. So now how this comes to expression, comes to expression in our speech. First thing, it comes to expression in our speech here. So the mouth speaks out of the abundance of a changed heart. So now what is the motive then? What is the motive to tell the truth? What is the motive? Well, he says this. He says, for we are all parts of the same body. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how we're, uh, the, the, the church is like a body. Well, what is, what's the connection there? Well, the connection is this. Is that you think about your own body. Think about if your body uh, is, doesn't truthful, isn't truthful with your body. You know, your, your body's made up of a nervous system, circulatory system. You have all these synapses and synaptic clefts and neurotransmitters that fire off the neurons and everything. Think if they were lying. Think if they were lying. They didn't tell the truth to one another. You would, you would put your hand on a hot stove and you would burn it. And, and the synapses would lie to you that, hey, you're getting burned. But they wouldn't say anything. They wouldn't tell you the truth about what was happening. And it's devastating to your body. Devastating to your body. If your body lies to your body. He's saying, look, tell the truth here because we're all parts of the same body. In other words, it's devastating when we don't tell the truth to one another. Just like with your physical body here. And so it says, stop telling lies. Now he's not saying that they're habitual pathological liars. But he is saying this. Saying, look, stop the deception. Stop all forms of deception here. Your adopted sons, your adopted daughters, you have a new king. You have new speech. The new jacket you put on in Christ is reflected in your speech there. So in your notes, it says this. I am to be a truth teller. I am, that's my new identity. See, I put on the jacket of telling the truth when I become a Christ follower there. And how easy it is to shade the truth. How easy it is to hold back truth to our advantage. How easy it is to minimize the details that make me look bad and then maximize the details that make somebody else look bad to put them in a negative light there. How easy it is to say one thing to somebody and then something else to your spouse or your your best friends. And think about this. In a day of social media, I really think we need to be very careful about this here because we've never had at our, our disposal a worldwide audience for twisting the truth. We've never had the opportunity, even think Yelp reviews and Facebook and Twitter and blogs and texts and emails. We've never had the opportunity that we have now just to twist the truth. So the first thing he says is your speech will change when you become a Christ follower here. So who am I? I'm a truth teller. That's my new identity. So what is the second specific here in verse 26? We respond to anger differently. Verse 26, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Some of your translations read, be angry and don't sin. Is it a sin to be angry? No. Jesus is, would get angry. God gets angry. And so uh, there are things to be genuinely angry about, and that is the proper response is to get anger. It's a proper emotion. But here's the problem. So anger is not sin. But what we do with our anger can lead us to sin. 
And so anger becomes sin when it controls you, when it owns you, and when you can't deal with it in a healthy way. So be angry, but don't let your anger lodge within you or escalate to the point of sin. Here's what he's saying. Anger then can be an on-ramp to sin, but it doesn't need to be an on-ramp to sin. You choose to exit and go down that road of sin there is what he's saying, where it's an on-ramp to sin that can wound relationships and damage people forever. That's what's at stake here. And so somebody cuts you off on the freeway, you roll down the window, or, or maybe you cut them off, they roll down the window, and they extend a greeting to you. You've had that happen, like, ugh, to acknowledge that you cut them off. People get road rage. There's something lying within, the, within them there, and so, uh, so it just comes to an outburst. But it can, be an, it can be a verbal outburst. It can be an online outburst there. And so we're to put on the jacket now. When you follow Jesus, you have a new jacket in how you have a new response to sin. I mean, a new response, you have a new response to sin, but you have a new response to, you, to anger. And I want to talk about the, that. In your notes here, it says, I express anger God's way. Well, what in the heck does that mean? I express anger God's way. So it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't stew over your anger. Don't fume over your anger. Don't fester over your anger. In this culture here, they would measure time by the sun going down. So he's saying, look, here's how you sin. Day after day, week after week, month after month, the sun is going down on your anger and you are not doing anything about your anger. So he's saying, don't let the sun go down. Deal with it right away. Don't hold on to your anger. Don't hold on to your grudges. Don't hold on to your bitterness there. Don't stagnate and sit on your anger. Because it's so easy to do. It's so comfortable to do. And, and, and we can just sit on our anger there. We feel like we're in control when we keep our anger. And so he's saying here, look, Anger can be an on-ramp to sin, which becomes like a cancer in your soul. Here's what's at stake. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give the problem over to God before you go to bed. Just give it over to God. Just admit, but don't let the sun go down and down and down and down and down. And you never deal with your anger. Say, God, I just want to give this to you. Lord, search my heart, help me, but I want to give this to you that you would deal with this, what happened to me. And so if you don't do this, what's at stake? If you just fester and you stew over it and you fume over it, what's at stake? Nobody will tell you what's at stake except the Bible. Culture won't tell you what's at stake. Psychology won't tell you what's at stake. You can't find about it at Google unless you look at the scripture. But here's what's at stake, verse 27. For anger gives a foothold. Imagine that. An opening, a space for the devil. You're thinking, well, well, what does that look like? Here's what this looks like. When you don't forgive, 
When you hang on to your anger, your bitterness, your resentments there, this is what you do. A foothold is like when you hold your foot in a door. That creates a crevice. It creates a space. It creates a way of access of entry is what it's saying here. And so what you're doing then is your anger then where you create a foothold. It then becomes a stronghold and then it owns you. That's what's at stake here. And so when you hold on to a grudge, creates an entry point where it can take, begin to take root there, can gain, uh, come to expression in your relationships there. Darkness can come to expression in your relationships. And so you can get all wrapped up in what went wrong there. And your bitterness then can begin to bleed into, into your relationships there. And so it's saying that anger gives a foothold to the devil. Think of it this way that you're like rolling out the red carpet to the powers of darkness when you hang on to your bitterness and resentment. Okay, you're, you're rolling out a red carpet there. You're, you're rolling out a welcome mat and, and inviting the powers of darkness into your life to work in you and your relationships there. Proverbs puts it this way in Proverbs 19.7. It says, it is the glory of a man, the glory of a man to overlook an offense. It's not the glory to stew and fume over it, but to overlook an offense here. So verse 28 says this. And by the way, by the way, just Google anger. Read about, read about smart people, white jackets, researchers there, Mayo Clinic. Just Google that and read the devastating effects when people hang on to anger. It affects you spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. It's, it's, it's unbelievable the negative impact that it has on you. And so verse 28 says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Good hard work. Good hard work. See, it's good to work hard. I think in culture today, it's almost like it's not a virtue to work hard. That's so great. It's esteemed here in Scripture. Good hard work. And then give generously to others in need. And so what he's saying here is that God wants us, the new you in Jesus, no longer greedy, no longer thinking that, you know, you know the way that we tend to think is that if it comes to me, it's for me, must be for me. And and our, our thinking needs to, to be renewed to understand this, that God wants us in Christ to be generous. He says to give, not just to give, but to give generously. And so when you come to Christ and he gives you something, then you think, you know what? Maybe he just didn't give this for me. Maybe he had somebody else in mind when he gave this to me. And so Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, when you give, when you put on the jacket of generosity there and you become a, a giver, you're more blessed when you give. You get more out of life when you give. You become the person you are destined to be when you give your time, your talent, your treasures. That's who you become. And so uh, generosity is something I think that, that we learn to do. We learn to do. We're not, we're not born generous. 
We learn to be generous. Kids aren't born generous, right? Everything is me and mine. No, we have to learn. That same thing in them as in adults, me and mine. It's all there. We just have big bodies. So we have to learn then to be generous. And so in your notes, I am generous. The best way to experience life is when you're generous. So verse 29. It says, don't use foul, or some of your translations read, unwholesome, abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let your words be an encouragement to those that hear them. So we say in this, hey, if you're like this Christ follower, let's talk some more about your speech. Now that you, now that you wear now that you wear the Jesus jacket, let's talk about your speech and what that looks like. And people, I know people are thinking, oh, but Rod, you don't know my situation. You don't know my work. You don't know my job site. I was talking to two teachers on Friday, and they, says, they said, our students, they just they cuss all the time. There's constantly cussing all the time. It was a trade school, two ladies. I says, really? I said, they're just cussing all, yeah, they're just constantly, they're cussing in, in class and when we're, we're working with them. So I, I understand that people say, oh, you know what, Rod, you understand our, our situation. I walk into a dispute or something, I'm on the job site and I've got to get their attention or I'm a stressed out mom or whatever. So I get all that. I get that. I just want to point out to you here that what the scripture says here is that when you become new in Christ, your speech becomes new. Your speech becomes new here. I'm a speaker in your notes. I'm a speaker of new words. I'm a speaker of new words. All things, all things become new. That includes my speech. When I come to Christ, I lay down, watch. When I come to Christ, I lay down the right to say whatever I want. Whenever I want, I lay down that right. When I say yes to Jesus, I'm also saying yes to, I don't get to say whatever I want, whenever I want. See, there, there's a, there's a, the, the, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. And so there's the power of the tongue. There's life and death, either to blast or to build up and to bless. And so my question is this, is it when I live in this reality here, when I live in this reality Okay, of the new jacket. When I live in this reality here, do I talk in a way that really believes that the Holy Spirit is with me 24-7? Do I speak that way? Do I really speak like I have a, a standing audience in my life? Paul said, when you speak, let your words um, encourage. It comes from the word grace. There, That grace has been distributed to you. You speak words of grace there. And so, do I speak like I have a, a standing audience with my spouse, with my kids, with my friends in the workplace, with my peers on the job site? And then verse 30, he says this. And don't grieve, don't grieve and bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's just talking about speech. And he says, and there's no, in the original language, the original uh, scripture there, there's no verses or chapters. It's just continuing. So it's a continuing thought that, hey, watch your speech there and your abusive speech and all that. And, and, and he ties it in and he marries it to grieving God. 
grieving the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve and bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. By the way that you're living and speaking and all. It says, remember, he's identified you as his own. Guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. And so your Bible say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit there. And so can God actually really be grieved by the way that we live? Do you think that? Do you think that God can actually be grieved? I'm asking you a question. Do you think that he can? Can God actually be grieved by the way that, do you think that it can affect God's heart? That God's heart could actually be like, oh, oh, like, like broken. You get it, right? You get it in relationships. You get it with your kids, right? When your kids live in a way, you're like, oh, 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 oh why would you, oh, why would you do that? And it grieves you. You just feel grieved in the inside there because you know like, oh, where that road is going to lead, where that's going to take you, that relationship, oh, and it's grievous to you. You get that. Well, we're God's children and God can be grieved by how we live and God can be grieved. He says, don't grieve and bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit there. And so, we can all identify with that. And so we become a Christ follower. When we become a Christ follower, he says this. He says, you become his own. Remember, he's identified you as his own. You see, you're identified as his own. You put on this new identity here. You have a new identity. And you're identified. God looks at you. And uh, he looks at you, and he sees Christ. Okay, you're a Christ follower, and you're identified as his own. And so the day that you become a Christ follower, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and you're identified as his own. So I want to show you another picture here. This is when I became a Christ follower, right there. I was 17 or 18, and uh, that, was just, that was a style back in the day. But, uh, so, but I'd never, that guy right there, I was just thinking about this as we were singing, that that guy right there, he'd never been to church. Never been to church. Never heard the gospel. Didn't have a Christian family or anything like that. There was an absolute zero point. Absolute zero point. I knew nothing whatsoever. And then, but one day, God in his grace, God just, this is how God, this is how God rolls. It's how God, he just chooses you and says, and God does this, says, hey, that guy right there, He's my own. And God just kind of like circles and says, you know what? I'm just going to put a circle around him. And he's, he's God's own. That's, God, and that's what God does to you. For everyone here that you're a Christ follower, at some point in your life, he just circles around and says, yeah, that woman, that man, they're my own. And I'm calling them and I'm, I've chosen them. And so that's how God, how God rolls there, how God operates, that he sovereignly, he just sovereignly chooses you. We, we read in Ephesians, before the foundation of the world there, you're my, my own there. And so, uh, so God seals you, puts his stamp upon you, uh, gives you the guarantee of the Holy Spirit there. And, so, and then he says this, he says, but look, you're my own. So I want you to live in a way it's not going to grieve me. I want you to live in a way that's going to honor me here. And so you're made in my image. So the Holy Spirit now is in you. But he's in you. And that, that comes to expression in your speech. You're to build people up. 
You're not just to tear them down. It doesn't mean not, we talked about a few weeks ago, speak the truth in love there. But the Holy Spirit is pure. So what about our language? Does our language come to expression in the purity of the Holy Spirit? Uh, the Spirit is truth. He leads into all truth. Is my language truthful or honest or deceitful there? And so, and realize that my very speech can actually grieve the Holy Spirit there. And so continuing there, what this new life looks like here. In your notes, I'm identified as God's own, redeemed by Jesus. Verse 31. So now what he says here is we're, we're concluding. What's he going to say about our emotions? Because our emotions change when we live here. When we live here, our emotions will change here. So what does God say? He says, get rid of all bitterness... Rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Do you think these were present-day realities? Do you think these were realities in, in that community? These things here, rage, anger, do you think they were? Oh, they were, yeah, thank you. And so these are, pre- so he's saying, get rid of them, why? Because they were there, Right? They were there. That's why they needed to get rid of them. And so he's saying this. He's saying this. Look, I know you're bitter. I know you're angry. I know you have rage. I know you have moments uh, of, of what they call brawling. I'll explain that in a moment there. doesn't mean like a, 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 a fight at a bar. But he's saying, look, you've got family. You've got friends. You've got loved ones. He's saying, look. I know life happens and friction happens and bitterness happens and anger happens here. But how much of that are you to get rid of? Like 50% and go, yes. What's he say? Get rid of 75% of all your bitterness and anger. Get rid of what? All. Like, Like all means all of that. Because of the damage. See, this is how you're designed to live because of the damage it'll do to your soul if you don't get rid of it. So he says here, I need to get rid of explosive rage. That's short fuse. Well, you know, that's, that's just the way that I'm wired up. That's the way that I grew up. Well, yeah, but like a bomb, and the bomb goes off and detonates, and the shrapnel of your temper, your anger, can, can devastate people for their lifetime. That's what's at stake here. Well, I just go off and then it's over. Yeah, but it's not over for anybody else. It's not, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later. It's not over for all the people that you went off on. So do I still have this on my life? That's why it says you got to get rid of all of this here. Holding on to the grudge. Brawling means literally, you want to know what it means? Snarling like a dog. Like snarling like a dog. That's what, when, when, when something gets within you where... where it's like a, like a contentious, and you're, you're like that, in your emotions there. It says, I have to let go of slander, speech, which is meant to, to, to injure others there, and malice, which is a desire to injure and, and wishing ill will. And then he says, you have to let go of bitterness. And I want to unpack this here just for a moment here. But he says, bitterness is this. Bitterness is where someone wrongs you, someone hurts you, someone injures you, and you say, I'm not going to forgive. Or I'm not going to forgive now. And so when you sit on that, and again, it opens a foothold 
to the devil there. And so and then what happens is, is bitterness, like, it grows roots. It grows like a root system within you where then it's coming to expression all the time. It says, you have to dig that thing out. This is not so easy to deal with because it's developed a root system. Now, maybe you've used a weed whacker of a hill and we, weed, we whack the weeds there. And I've done this many times, whacking the weeds. But you know what? Every time we do the weed whacker, the weeds just come back. Have you ever noticed that? They just come back. It's like a week, two weeks, especially a rain. They just all come back. And so he's saying that, you know what? You can't take a weed whacker to your bitterness. You can't do a little surface thing there, you know, uh, read a blog, you know, or, or a little podcast thing or pray a little prayer. You, 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 can't, you can't be just kind of skimming the surface with this whole bitterness thing because it's, it's got a root system. In fact, Hebrews 12, 15 says this, says, see to it that no bitter, uh, see to it that no bitter root grows up in you. And the impact will be that it'll corrupt many people. So this is why it's so important to deal with and dig up the roots of bitterness there because they will come back. So in your notes, I'm getting rid of, as a Christ follower, I'm getting rid of bitter roots here. So when you've been betrayed, abandoned, victimized, sinned against, harmed, hurt, wounded, disappointed, you only have two choices. And what would those choices be? You have two choices. One is you get angry, which leads to bitterness, or you forgive. There's no, there's no other options. That's it. And so how do you know if you have bitterness? Well, you're, always, you're like an archaeologist, always digging up the past. Have you noticed that? They're always digging up the past. You're always revisiting painful circumstances. You can't move on. You're stuck. You always keep, you're always rethinking, revisiting there, recollecting, always going back to the past. And what I've discovered in this, having done this for a long, a long time and talking to people a long time, is that they then tend to obsess and amplify and exaggerate what happened. It gets bigger than even the reality there. And they end up replaying the video in their mind as they play it over and over again. Remember now, they're um, they're not dealing with their anger. They're just replaying it, the pain, over and over, a replay. People live, you know, in like the replay box, like on sports, where they keep playing it over and over in every angle, you know, and showing slow-mo and detail. And that's what you do. You just replay it over and over, and then it gets roots within you, and then defiles, the Bible says, defiles, hurts many. So here, so what do you do? What do you do with all those negative emotions? Verse 32, and I close with this. Instead... Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, not hard-hearted, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Yeah, really? You want me to do that? Why should I do that? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So you do what God has done for you. That's all. You just do what God has done for you. That's all. So it's not conditional. Well, as soon as they... As soon as they confess, as soon as they show me that uh, they are sorry for what, no, no, no. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. When Jesus was hanging on the cross 
He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Did he say, well, as soon as they repent, as soon as they get right, as soon as they get an apology, then I'll, no, no. It was, unforg- it, it was unconditional. So your forgiveness is based on what Jesus has done for you, not what happens here. So see, we want to base, we want to base, don't miss this. So I think many people miss this. We want to base forgiveness on what's happening here. This way, horizontal relation. No, that's not what it says. It says forgiveness is based on what happens here. You forgive here based on just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And you take that forgiveness that you've received and you dispense that. And that's how you become healthy. That's how you live the new life. And so forgiveness then, you forgive not because they deserve it. You're imparting grace. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. When I did not deserve it. And so, in your notes, forgiveness, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, it's not in your notes, but forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. It's not restoring trust. It's not minimizing the seriousness of what happened. But it is letting go of the past and entrusting it to God. And forgiveness is an ongoing process, an ongoing process. So in your notes, I am designed to be a forgiver because I have been forgiven. Watch. Forgiven. Watch. Watch. Look at me. Please look at me. Look up here. Forgiven people. Forgiven people. These people, they forgive. Forgiven people forgive. That's the story. And so... Chapter 5, verse 1 says this. It says this. It says, you, this is who you're designed to be. It says, you be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children. Everything he talked about, you imitate Jesus and, and you begin to live the new life. So who am I? This is who I am. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that in you, you, you renew us, that we have this new jacket of, of salvation, a new jacket of righteousness, of right standing with you. And thank you, Father, that you gave us a, a few, vi- few verses here that are so crystal clear of what you want us to be, even in areas where, where we struggle, like with anger and forgiveness and generosity and bitter roots and speaking kind words. And so, Father, I pray that you would do in us what only you could do in us, and you'd transform us by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.